Good morning. How was everyone this morning? And thank you, Brother Ken, for that excellent, excellent rendition. It's kind of uh, good to be here. I was sitting there. I was uh, wondering what else Sister Rhonda was going to pull out of that bag. <laughs> it's like uh, that, that dog food to sound better than what I had planned for dinner. So I don't know. I was, I was tempted until I saw the dog, the dog picture on there. But uh, it's good to be here. Again, my name is uh, Pastor Melvin Burns. I'm co-pastor of City Heart Ministry in Muskegon Heights, Michigan. And uh, I was here last year, about a year ago. Um, what difference a year makes, huh? Yeah. Uh, last year, you all won't know this, but uh, I lost about 40 pounds since last year. Gained 10 of it back. Uh, so, <laughs> but uh, uh, since then, I, I went to Israel for the first time, came back. Uh, day I got back from Israel, my mother got out of the hospital. I buried my mother Monday, 88 years old. Um, she lived a blessed life. And uh, I heard something about a pandemic going on this year, you know, since last year. Who knew? Who knew all the things were going to take place between this year and last year? So uh, when people say it's an honor and a pleasure to be here, it is. But a lot of things have transpired since last year. So I thank God for the opportunity as I was um, sitting and listening. Um, the Blueberry Festival is a big part of y'all's ministry. And, uh, you know, I, I mourn with you. You aren't able to do it this year. And, and again, believe that uh, 2021, you'll be able to return to that activity. Uh, but um, I believe I have a message God wants me to share with you this morning. Um, if you would pray with me, and we'll get into the message. Father, I just thank you for the privilege and the honor you give to always minister your word. You know, Lord, I'm not in my home church today. God, it's still this call, this mission you give to preach and teach the gospel. So I pray today, God, that every ear is open and every heart is open to receive your word today. As always, God, if there's any glory, you deserve it, and I take none from myself. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Now, I know uh, from to my friend, uh, you all have been. Uh, he's been teaching from the book of James. Coincidentally, uh, I've been teaching on Wednesday nights. For, I'm going in and out. Coincidentally, uh, for the past few weeks, I've been teaching from the book of James also. Uh, and uh, I just concluded chapter number three. Uh, and so today is a great opportunity for us all. I am... Uh, Today's going to be a great opportunity. I'm going to jump ahead from where I am. Am I going in and out? I'm going to jump ahead from where I am. I can improvise. Sorry. Okay. This never happens in church. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh, take that. Thank you. That better? Okay. I'm going to jump ahead from where I am in chapter 4. And go to chapter 5. So the opportunity is, if I really make a mess of things, uh, Pastor Crockett come back and clean it up next week. And then, uh, just like my pasta and my chili, when I teach this again a couple of weeks in my church, it tastes a little better with the leftovers. So uh, we all get this, this opportunity today. And so uh, uh, I want to begin with some insights in chapter 5, but I want to take you back to the last verse in chapter 4. The very last verse. Um, 
Now James, as you may know, is an excellent writer. And what he does, he often summarizes his thoughts as he goes through, um, through, through this chapter. Of course, we know he didn't, he didn't write in chapter and verses as he was writing this letter. So in James 4.17, and I use the NASB translation, he says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And we could just hang on that and go home now and think if you know the right thing to do it and don't do it, to you that's a sin. You know, a lot of James' book is about maturity. Uh, and he, so as you mature, as you grow, once you know, as, as uh, my mommy say, once you know better, you do better. Uh, and so this statement in James, it does two things as we transition into chapter 5. Um, the first thing that... Uh, James talks about, and, and he addresses this a few times in the book, he talks about uh, uh, the rich. Uh, so we want to take up, let's look at these first five verses uh, in James chapter 5. He says, come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you, and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, pay the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Now in this passage, what James does is he shares with us what the rich have done with their wealth, which is to hoard their wealth. He tells us they've allowed their, comes to be, their clothes to become moth-eaten, meaning they simply have too many clothes sitting around. He tells that they have uh, allowed that gold and silver to rust, and we know they don't rust, so uh, maybe in the translation got lost, but they've allowed that gold and silver to corrode. In other words, they have so much money, they can't spend it. I assure you, that will not be my sin. Uh, he also says they have heaped treasures on themselves. It's that selfishness, that self-absorption that, that he sees coming with the rich. Uh, these are all condemning testimonies that James is giving. Now, one of the concepts that James uh, began in chapter 4, and he carries on into 5, is this idea of the temporary aspects of life. And so when he looks at the rich and he sees what they're investing their time and their life into, and he, he says he wants us to remember how temporary these things are. And again, uh, we know that James is not condemning all rich, nor does the Bible condemn all rich people. But we do need to understand that in, in, in James' time, the world was divided into two categories, the rich and the poor. You know, uh, somewhere in my notes I say this, but the, the idea of a lower middle class, upper middle class, middle middle class, striving middle class did not really exist. You were rich or you were poor. And so James lists all these condemning testimonies, and one of the again this concept of uh, uh, of the temporary aspect of life. If you recall, uh, he discussed in chapter four acknowledging God concerning the blessings that we receive in life. 
And so now what he does, he shows us that riches ought to be sought after, uh, that are sought after and delighted in can lead to a different kind of future. So where, where is James coming from with this, 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 we say this negative view of the rich or this negative testimony about being rich. Uh, if you look at, you don't have to turn there, but if you look at Luke chapter 12 or, or recall Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching. And in the middle of him teaching, a man interrupts him. Because he's really not teaching about this. He's teaching about uh, the leaders and teachers in the synagogue. And it says a man yells out to him in the middle of his teaching. Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. And you imagine Jesus saying, wait a minute. I wasn't talking about that. And so he yells, he yells out to him, hey, you know, my brother's not being fair to me. So Jesus, hearing this man, uh, he goes on to warn about the greed that's in life. And it's interesting, when, I, when you read this passage, is he talking about the brother who won't share the inheritance? Or is he talking about the man who, say, who yells out, uh, my brother won't share with me? And I thought about this, I think he's talking about both of them. This idea that when there's money, have you ever noticed it changes people? <laughs> Some people say, yeah, it changes your phone number, your address, uh, where they can find you. But it changes people. And so this idea of pursuing riches is what James is worried about, is what uh, God warns about throughout the Bible. And so he goes on, he tells this parable, Jesus in Luke 12 tells this parable uh, about the rich man contemplating building more burns. You know, places to put more stuff. That I'm going to build more stuff so I can store my stuff, so I can get more stuff, and then I'll have more stuff. And he says, foolish man, what happens if God inquires about your life tonight? And so the idea uh, that hopefully we grab, grasp in, in verse 22 in Luke 12, um, he says, I say to you, don't worry about your life as to what you eat, nor your body as to what you put on it. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And so uh, James, with this as a backdrop, he's not only teaching uh, about this, this very uh, parable. Uh, when we go to verse 4 and 5 in James chapter 5, uh, he's talking about how the rich seek this wealth at the detriment to the poor. Again, the Bible doesn't teach against wealth, but it says there's a perspective, there's a godly perspective that we're supposed to have concerning this wealth. And so, uh, again, remember I said James 4.17, there's two things he, want, he wanted us to know. And so, uh, uh, the second thing is... He warned about the, the richest pursuit of wealth. Then he now speaks to the poor. And one of the things you find in James' writing is he always has this balance that he presents when he presents his arguments. Again, he's a very good writer. And so he, he warns the rich, first of all, about this life, pursuing this life of excess. But then he speaks to the rich. And in verse 7 he says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the pre precious, precious produce of the soil, being patient about it, until he gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. 
And so, uh, um, and I start to put a dis I put notes in my notes, a disclaimer uh, as a pastor. When we say be patient, being patient is not the same as letting time pass and complaining and complaining and complaining. Remember, that's not the same as being patient. But he, uh, James cites this example of Job and reminds us that the reward of being patient is God's compassion and God's mercy. And so in this, in this proverbial wisdom of James, again, he talks to the rich and, and warns them about the dangers of being rich. But he talks to the poor also. It's now, now you poor. And he does this again in, in verse 2 and in, verse, in uh, chapter 2 and in chapter 4. He says, now, if you're patient, godly patient, he says, your reward is compassion and mercy. And remember, writers like James and Paul, they're thinking that God's return is imminent, just as we should. We don't know the day he's coming. And so they're, they're really thinking, be patient, God's return is really imminent. And so you may be poor now, and yes, you may be abused and not have these things, but he's going to return. He's going to reward your patience. And so, uh, uh, again, this, again, it's not dissimilar to what he, ta he talks about in chapter 2 when he talks about favoritism and partiality. He says, don't, don't turn yourself, don't turn your servants upside down and don't disrupt everything just because you want to favor the rich when they come in. He says, don't show that kind of favoritism and partiality. That's not what God is looking for. And so, uh, I want to tie this together for you, for you as you go through James chapter 5, you get to verses 13 and 20. And it seems as though James is kind of just throwing out some concluding thoughts. You know, he talks about, you know, uh, um, uh, laying hands on the sick, but he says something you have to catch in verse uh, 16. He says, uh, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplish much or availeth much. Now you hear that. No rich, no poor, no partiality, no station in life. What, is, what do we say? We say in Acts, God says he's not a respecter of person, but he is a respecter of faith. That's who we are. He goes on in verse, he's got a bug crawling here. He says in verse 19, my brethren, I'm in the inner city church. We see bugs, that means something totally different. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, Where's the rich? Where's the poor in that? Where's the uh, honored and the lowly station in life? Who can return? Who can, who can save a sinner? Someone who teaches and shares the word of God. Has absolutely nothing to do with your station in life. And so this is, when I look at James' message in chapter 5, this is where he starts from, but this is where he leaves us off. When it seems like these are, these are uh, the rampant thoughts. No, he's tying the same thing together. Again, it's that balance that James is talking about uh, uh, that, that we find throughout the book. And so uh, as, uh, it led me to a couple of concluding thoughts I want to share with you uh, as I've studied this chapter. The first thing James is stressing is what you have. What you have. He tells the rich, okay, you have wealth. 
Now, how are you going to use it? Are you going to abuse people? Are you going to be excessive with it? Are you going to charge unfair wages and abuse people? You know, if you have wealth, you can do a lot of good. You can pay people fair wages. You can be a blessing to others. People have built schools and libraries and hospitals. And so God is judging us based on what we have. What do we do with what we have? And so my second thought again is what you do. So he gives us, the Bible says he gives each person, each person a measure of faith. God gives each of us something. He's looking to do, what do you do with the thing I gave you? He won't give all of us millions. He may give you a voice to sing like Brother Ken or the ability to play music. Just a, a, a wayward thought. I have five siblings and every one of them can sing, played in the band, except me. I was in the band, I say a week, but really after the second day I didn't go back. And I officially quit on Friday. And she said, play this note and play this note, and they sounded the same. And so I was the youngest of, of the second youngest of, of the siblings. So everything they did seemed like, you know, band they had done, singing they had done, until I, you know, I saw football and track became my things. I gotta find my thing. And academics, I got to find my thing in there. So I said to say, God gives all of us something. And he says, I'm holding you accountable for the thing I give you. What is it I give you? And there's tremendous testimonies through our Christendom of people who God you know, just gave these simple abilities to sow or to cook or to just write a song or a poem that blessed the body of Christ, that blessed the whole world. And so James is saying, what is it you have? Do something with that. Then he looks at what you do. What is it you do? First John 15, it says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away. And also it's lust, but the one who does the will lives forever. What are you doing? Are you pursuing the will of God? Or is it to pursue what's in this world? I said it's an example. If you go to Egypt, there's pyramids full of stuff that people tried to take with them. If you go to Japan, you see those little terracotta soldiers. Stuff people thought they could take with them. And guess what? Their stuff is still here. Well, people looted it after they died, but the stuff is still here. Brother Ken's going to help me with this. He doesn't know it. You may build great cathedrals, large or small. You can build skyscrapers, grand and tall. You may conquer all the failures of the past, but... Only God will last. Amen. You may seek earthly power and fame. The world may be impressed by your great name. Soon the glories of this life will all but pass, but only what you do for Christ will last. Though your armies may control each hemisphere and your orbits out in space cause men to cheer, your scientific knowledge may be vast, but only what you do. For Christ will last. Though your song and your prayers are heard and praised by man, they've no meaning unless you've been born again. Sinner, heed these words, don't let this harvest pass. For only what you do 
for Christ will last. Remember, only what you do for Christ will last. What is it you do? That was, that was James as he was concluding this, this wonderful book, this proverbial book. He was reminding us, what are the things you're investing in? What are the things you're putting your greatest time and your greatest effort in? Are there things that men will give you pats on the back and give you praise for? But God gives you no credit for? Or are you doing the things that God says, well done, servant? So it's what you have. It's what you do. And the third one is what you tolerate. Well, Pastor Melvin, there's things out of my control. There's things I can't do anything about. I see the pandemic. I see riots and unrest. I see people upset. There's things I can't do anything about. Oh, really? Still, our most effective ability as believers is to get down on our knees, to be quiet somewhere and pray. To pray, to cry out to God, to talk to our Lord and Savior. God was going to wipe out the whole nation of Israel. Moses, in, 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 his, in his rage, didn't take it to the people. He said, God, you cannot do this. What will they say? What will the Egyptians say about you? I'm going to, I'm going to uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah to destroy everybody. Abraham, God, wait a minute. You, not everybody. There's got to be a reason you'd save this city. Let me find 40 or 30 or some righteous people. What is it you tolerate? Do you just watch the news? Do you just listen to your neighbors and go, oh, that's a shame. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. So what do you do? What do you have? What do you tolerate? Amen? God bless you all. Amen. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Pray with me as I close out the message. Father God, I thank you that we didn't leave us to guess and wonder, but you gave us such great writers. You inspired men to write and share the word of God. I thank you, God, that James reminds God of this, this full life we have in Christ. He reminds us, God, that you've put us together as a body of believers from all types of backgrounds and all types of cultures and all types of economic stratus. And you, he reminds us that what binds us together is our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, as we have read and gone through this chapter, God, that not only does it transform us in our thinking and in our hearts, God, but it transforms what we see and what we look at. It transforms how we see ourselves and our position in the body of Christ. Truly, God, you have not helped us, left us helpless. I pray, God, that our eyes and our ears and our hearts are always open to hear what you're saying to bring the issues, bring the matters to you in prayer. That we're not hopeless and we're not helpless. But God, just as we've put all of our trust and our faith and our hope in you.
where it says that hope never disappoints. It never misses an appointment. We thank you, Lord God, that just as our prayers go up to you, as they're received up to you, God, at the appointed time, you answer. And your word says that your answer is always a yes and an amen. Well, I thank you. I bless Fruitland Covenant Evangelical Church. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Praise God.